Good evening, everybody. Uh, my name is David Snoke, and I'll be bringing the word to you this uh, evening. Uh, so this is um, printed in your bulletin on page seven. And uh, just a few words uh, before I read the text. Uh, this is, we're starting a new series on the second uh, letter of Paul to the Corinthians. And um, if you were with us earlier, we did 1 Corinthians a few months ago. Uh, but we're starting in on a new one. I'm not going to give a ton of introduction to the book uh, other than just to say that um, this is a letter <clears throat> that is in, in many ways very pastoral. So Paul is one of the apostles. Uh, he is uh, speaking the word of God. Uh, and in some of his letters, you could say he's very uh, methodical, very organized in uh, giving sort of you know principles and so on. Second uh, Corinthians has sort of a little bit of this and a little bit of that. It's very uh, pastoral uh, in, he's really addressing questions that uh, have come up, presumably in other letters that were sent to him and things that he's aware of, that he's concerned about and so on. Uh, so um, tonight he's gonna talk about suffering, uh, some of the things uh, that we've been talking about in the church uh, for several months actually. Uh, and so I'm gonna start in uh, on the first chapter here uh, and then we'll be going through this, as I said, over the next few weeks. So the way we do this is I'll read this, and at the very end then uh, we have the call and response. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. Hear God's word <clears throat> from the Apostle Paul in the second letter to the Corinthians, starting in chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, <clears throat> and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience while you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also will share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself, Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he may deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. This is the word of the Lord. So um, suffering is one of the great themes of the Bible. I feel like in one way or another, in the last several months, uh, we've been touching on this uh, in one passage or another. It seems to keep coming up. Uh, it was in the, uh, the letter to Peter that we were studying. Uh, and so the first part of my sermon, actually, I feel like it's in some ways review. If you've been with us for any length of time, this may feel like we're saying the same things uh, over and over. Uh, and they bear repeating, so that's okay. Uh, so 
the basic uh, first thing I just want to say about this passage, uh, which, again, if you've been following along, this shouldn't be uh, too surprising, is just that um, suffering should not surprise us, that suffering is everywhere in Scripture uh, talked about as uh, something which is normal in the Christian life. And you see here Paul, who's one of the apostles, uh, talking about, um, in a sense, rejoicing uh, and being comforted in his sufferings. Uh, now, in, it, it, if you think about it, it shouldn't be surprising, uh, but it often is. Uh, and um, there may be two reasons why it's surprising. <clears throat> One is uh, because we live in an era of relative comfort, and we often have people, there are TV preachers and people around the world who preach uh, what is sometimes called a prosperity gospel, uh, and they'll look at various promises in the Bible and say, God wants you to be rich and healthy and everything going smoothly in your life, uh, and so if it's not, you must be doing something wrong. Uh, so I'm going to come back to those promises a little bit uh, later, but I think it should be clear from a passage like the one we have in front of us that that can't be the whole story, right? I mean, Paul is, you can't say, well, Paul, you must be doing something wrong or you wouldn't be suffering. You know, Paul is saying this is part of the normal uh, Christian life. I think another reason maybe why we struggle with this topic is because if you really think about the omnipotence of God and God's ability to do anything, there's a part of us that says, oh, come on, God, it'd be so easy for you to take the suffering away, right? I remember very vividly uh, way back uh, when I was in grad school, we were living in married student housing, and it was a summer night, uh, and uh, I was out on our little porch, and hearing a baby just wailing, and I don't know if it had a toothache or uh, earache or something, but it was just going on and on and on, just screaming in pain. Uh, and I just remember thinking to myself, like, God, it'd be so easy, like, couldn't you just snap your fingers and, and heal this baby? Uh, why don't you do it? Uh, and I think that we're right in saying God has the ability, but I think you can't look at a passage like this in front of us uh, without seeing that uh, God kind of owns the suffering, right? Um, so it is, he's saying that God is really back of it all, uh, that we are called to walk through suffering uh, with God. And in a way, you know, I'm not going to talk about the problem of suffering, why is there suffering in the world uh, in any uh, deep way. I'm going to really more think about a response to it. Uh, but you could say, you know, if there's one thing people wrestle with is, well, why is there suffering at all in the world? The response we have in the passage in front of us is not an answer to that, but it actually says another thing which is almost equally difficult to wrestle with, which is God himself in the person of Christ endured suffering. So you may not like the idea that God allows suffering in this world, but you can't say he's, he's not sympathetic to it because he's gone through it himself. Uh, and that's what we're told to uh, here in this passage. Uh, he says, as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we also abundantly uh, share in comfort. Uh, so I've mentioned this book before. Uh, so, you know, this is kind of like a father thing. It's like, it's my daughter. She edited this book, you know. Um, so, uh, uh, it's by a theologian from China uh, called Wang Yi. Uh, and there's a bunch of different things going on in the book. But one of the things uh, that the Chinese church, I think, really has to offer us is sometimes called the theology of suffering. Uh, it's not something that uh, Western theologians have really focused a lot on over the last few hundred years. Um, there's a lot of other good things in Western theology, 
but we haven't really focused or, or really dwelt on <clears throat> what the Bible says about suffering in uh, that deep of a way. And uh, one of the premises of that theology of suffering, which is in this book and in other Chinese writings, uh, is really, in a nutshell, that verse that I just read. It says, we share in Christ's sufferings. And what they're saying in the theology of suffering is that not only should we not be surprised by suffering, but that actually we are in many ways walking the walk of Christ when we suffer, that we are uniting with him to share in the sufferings uh, that he underwent. Uh, and so not only is it not a surprise, it's actually a high calling. We're actually saying that suffering is part of the normal Christian life and no student is above his master uh, and that we should view it as actually a high calling. And you see that in the text here. I mean, Paul is saying this suffering is actually leading to good things. It's actually leading to comfort. It's leading to patient endurance. Uh, and it's leading to a number of things which I'll unpack uh, in a little bit. Uh, the basic premise, though, is that we are filling up, to some degree, the sufferings of Christ, that we are united to Christ, and that Christ suffered on the cross, but that in a real way, being united to Christ, we have uh, a life, sometimes people call it the J-curve, that emulates Christ, uh, that we suffer along with Christ uh, as Christians. So I have in the outline here three different ways that we suffer. And I think sometimes we struggle because we're confused about why we're suffering. In one sense, you could say all of suffering is due to the fall, due to the fact that mankind fell into sin. Uh, but there's actually, uh, you could distinguish between three different types. So one type is maybe the most obvious, which is when you sin and you suffer the consequences of your sin. Uh, we're pretty familiar with that. I mean, even as children, you know, you do something wrong and your parents discipline you. Uh, and so there's a direct, okay, I'm suffering because of something that I did wrong. And so that is uh, often uh, the case. Uh, but we would go astray if we think that that's always the case. Uh, we were looking uh, this morning in the high school class uh, at the book of Job, and that was one of the errors that Job's friends made, is to say, well, Job, you must be suffering because you did some particular sin, and this is God punishing you for that particular sin. God reserves the right to do that, uh, but it isn't always the case. So it often is uh, a good place to start to say, is this a hole that I've dug for myself? Is there something I need to repent for? Uh, but the answer is sometimes no, actually. Uh, it might not be something that you did uh, that caused your suffering, uh, but it always does, it's not a bad idea to look a little bit and say, maybe I did something to make this worse. Maybe I do need to repent of something. Uh, so I use that word discipline, uh, where we are disciplined directly for sins. But what's kind of interesting actually in scripture is that oftentimes uh, suffering of Christians is called discipline in a generic sense, not just for your particular sins, uh, but there's various places in scripture where it says that you should endure patiently the suffering you're undergoing as a type of discipline, uh, even when it's not your own sin. Now, how does that work out? Well, this is the second category. The fact is that we live in a fallen world. We live in a world in which sin exists generally. 
And so oftentimes we are the victims of sin. We are the recipients of things that happen in the world because of sin. Uh, and there's two different ways that happens. One is when some evil person does something which is evil to us. And the other is the general effects of the curse, that God turned us over to death and disease. Uh, and when people fell into sin, God said, you are not going to live forever. You are going to endure suffering and death. That's one of the consequences of the fall. So in a sense, it is a type of discipline. It's not a discipline for our particular sin. It's a discipline on the human race. It's a discipline on the entire human race saying, you are under judgment. Uh, you are under a curse, the Bible calls it. Not that this particular thing is happening to you because of your particular sin, but you are part of a human race which is under judgment. And we don't like to hear that. We like to think that, well, um, God is trying to make everybody happy and he just seems to be failing. Uh, but actually the Bible tells us that God has laid suffering on the human race as a generic thing as a consequence of the sinfulness of the whole human race. And we're in it together. Uh, there are things that happen to us corporately, not because of my particular sin, but because of, of being a member of the human race. And so if you have cancer or if you have some mental illness or something, it's not necessarily a punishment on you, but it is in some sense a punishment on the human race, that the human race collectively is under judgment. Uh, and again, we often don't, we rebel against that. We have a very individualistic mindset. We don't like to think of being connected to other people, but the Bible tells us the whole human race is under judgment uh, and that we all bear the consequences of that. And so sometimes bad things happen that lead to suffering that weren't our own particular sin, uh, but they are nevertheless a judgment on the human race. Uh, now there's a third category of suffering, which is related to the fall, uh, but almost completely different from the first two, which is actually when you suffer because of being good, when you suffer because of your virtue. And of course, Christ is the uh, canonical example of this, that Christ did not suffer for his own sins, he suffered because of other people's sins, uh, and he was doing what was good, and that led people to hating him. And so all through uh, the Bible, uh, in the New Testament in particular, it says, uh, if you are trying to live a godly life and saying no to certain sins, there are going to be some people who just hate you for that. Uh, and it's likely that some people will persecute you for that. And so when we look at uh, China, uh, it's interesting because they will talk about sometimes their own sins brought on suffering onto themselves. But... Sometimes it's really just the fact that a virtuous person who's more virtuous than you can make you feel angry. I don't know if anybody can relate to that. You know, that if you've been around somebody who you just feel like that person seems to be glowing, you would think that you would be, oh, how, how nice to be in their presence, but actually often our reaction as sinful people is the opposite, is that person kind of irritates me because I can't see any flaws. They just seem to be too good, and that irritates me. Uh, and, and if you think you feel it, uh, the world in general uh, feels this quite a bit. Uh, there's another type of suffering for virtue, which is when we say no to our own sins. Uh, uh, many people have talked about this in the last few months in different sermons, but um, sometimes when uh, I am tempted to do something and I don't do it, I feel like I'm going to die. I feel like if I don't have this, I will just be miserable. I have to have it. I have to get it. Uh, and um, that so-called misery of not feeding the flesh 
uh, is a type of suffering which is a godly suffering. Uh, Jesus himself fasted. He denied the flesh. He didn't eat uh, when his body said, I would love to be eating right now. Uh, and there's a lot of times when we suffer in virtue, again, in the type that Christ did, by when we deny ourselves and we say, I will not do that thing which is sinful. And you think about it, these two are actually related because one of the things that our flesh craves is the approval of other people, right? I want people to like me. So I want to eat, uh, I want to have pleasure, and I want everybody to like me. And, and really, they're all sort of part and parcel of the same thing. When I say no, and I'm gonna do the right thing, even if it makes people angry, um, well, that is sort of embracing the suffering of Christ, saying that I choose virtue, uh, and because I live in a fallen world, that means I'm gonna suffer uh, 